Ready to add a big dose of positivity and empowered perspective to your day? You've come to the right place. Welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Here, we tackle everything from imposter syndrome and confidence building to the best advice on how to lead yourself through life pivots, including the ones that knock you flat. For the past three years, I've talked to hundreds of experts about their stories. Here, you'll find their actionable advice and lessons, as well as my own tools that you can put to use in your own life. Stick around. I think you'll find this investment in you well worth it. Hi, friend. Our year is certainly off to an interesting start, and it's making it especially challenging to be as positive as we know we need to be to tackle the challenges that lie ahead. I predict that we'll have lots of opportunities to use all that agility that we developed in 2020 as we head into 2021. So how are you doing on resolutions? Have you made any for the new year? If you're looking for some perspective on how to make them stickier, be sure to check out last week's episode, episode 133, where I share my own practice for how you can set yourself up for success in the year ahead. I'd love to know what you're doing to make your own goals a reality. A new year is also a great opportunity to learn or refresh some key life skills. So with that, today, we're going to tackle the right way to do some very common things that are required in life, pretty much no matter who you are. My guest today is Erin Zemet Ruddy. She is a magazine editor, writer, and the author of a terrific book called The Little Book of Life Skills. She has compiled an incredibly thoughtful list of some 152 skills and things that you need to know how to do. And let me just reinforce how incredibly comprehensive this list is. It's not just the organizational things, but it's really soup to nuts. Everything from how to tackle that junk drawer that or two (laughs) that's driving you crazy to how's the best way to do your own nails, how to stop obsessing, how to argue more productively. Plenty of opportunity for that right now, right? And how to deliver really difficult news to someone. Erin is here with me today to talk about her book and to talk about her personal story, including how she dealt with a life-threatening illness, how it's informed her work, and why the little things in life and doing them correctly really matter. Erin, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. I am crazy about this little book of life skills. Why did you write this particular book? So I realized when I was um, 40 (laughs) that I was not quite a proper adult yet. I felt like I was still overwhelmed and shooting from the hip and frazzled often, like in my daily life. I had three kids. I have a house. I have um, a job. I have all the things that on paper feel like you're supposed to be functioning as an adult. And yet I just, I wasn't getting through my day with any kind of like ease. Right. And um, I mean, we all have those areas of our life where we feel um, stuck or uh, disorganized. And, um, and I just felt like, you know, I spent 20 years as a magazine journalist and my job was to go out to experts and ask them how to do 
all the little things better. Right. So I was like, okay, what if I, clearly I didn't take their advice over all these years. Cause I was still, I was still, <laughs> you know, um, but I was like, what if I put all of that in a book? What if I went out to each of these experts, found some new great experts and just said, let's break it down into very small things we can do throughout our day. Right. Not like, you know, it wasn't like how to host Thanksgiving, how to paint your house, how to, you know, redo your mortgage. It's like, how to, how to write an email, how to get up in the morning so that you feel refreshed all day. Um, You know, things like that, like the little stuff that we all do every day. um, But breaking it down into like the order in which you're supposed to do it, why you're supposed to do it that way, why it matters. And um, so that is sort of what I decided to do. I put together this, this big list of all the things that I wanted to know how to do a little bit better. And uh, we turned it into a book and, and that's the little book of life skills. And it's, it's really fun. And I, I constantly say that, I wrote this book because I need this book and I am not the expert. I'm learning, you know, I'm a work in progress, but it's mostly, and, and you know, you've read the book. It's mostly me saying that my voice comes through, I hope. And it's basically like, you guys, oh my goodness, did you know this? Like, I didn't know this. Like, how great is this? How great is it that that's why you're supposed to do X, Y, or Z? Like, I just thought it was like, I don't know, you know? So, um, so that's why I wrote it and it's, and it's been actually really helpful. And I know we, we both have like super flagged copies. Exactly. And- Um, I reference it. I reference it every day. I wrote the thing and I'm still like, you know, learning. So, well, you know, I think one of the amazing things about it is that I'm certainly old enough to know how to do well, really all the things in this book and I'm older. I've 10 years on you. Um, But at the same time, like there's a way to do them. That's really the right way versus the good enough way or the not done at all way. And I'd love for you to talk to this notion of why it matters. Why should people focus on actually doing it the right way and what difference that actually makes? I think for me, it's about doing the little things well, frees up your, your frustration level. It frees up your, your mental to-do list. It, you know, there were times when I would be emptying the dishwasher and like angry or, you know, or trying to get out the door in the morning and flustered. And it's like, why, like, why, you know, and if you stop take a deep breath, be a little bit more considered and careful about how you're doing these things. You're going to be less frustrated. You know, like that, that's basically the payoff. The payoff is like, Oh, I'm not cursing or, or frustrating or frustrated or racing around. Um, and it's this idea, you know, my dad, um, always, uh, was a big proponent of doing things right. The first time, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing. Well, he would take his time growing up like a hose, you know, if we, watered the plants and then I would just kind of put it on a, in a pile, right? He would always say, Aaron, like, you know, let's, let's figure this out. You have to empty the hose first, make sure all the water's out, then you can twist it. And if it's not twisting right, then you have to take it all out. And I'd be like, oh my God, dad. But doing those little things well, you know, then the next time you come back, your hose is organized and it's easier to grab, right? So there is a sense of pride you get from from doing all these little things well, and you're not frustrated. And I think one thing I've realized as I've gotten older is this is life, right? Life is going to the grocery store, sending a, you know, a tough work email, um, offering condolences to a friend, um, you know, making a, making a, a, a cheese board, whatever it is, like all these things, that's, that's life, that's real life. Right. So if you can, if you can break it down and, and do these things with a little sense of joy and pride and, um, and, and well, then you're going to feel better all day. You know, and it's, it's essentially selfish. It's like, how do I feel? Why don't, you know, like, you know, when you, everyone knows when you do something well, you're like, yes. Or when you, you know, like, so I just think it's, um, 
it's about it's about finding joy in all of these moments and pride that that you know you may not have had before because it just seemed like a you know a task you had to get through to get to the next thing right right, right. i mean it's both joy enhancing and it's also confidence boosting right when you really feel like you're kind of down and out Everybody knows the magic of tidying up. It's hard as heck to do. And if you, if I could show you around this room, you'd be sort of horrified, <laughs> but it is what it is, right? And a lot of us are living with that, but it can make a really big difference in terms of your overall mindset and the way that you approach your day. Absolutely. And, and those little things, you know, cleanliness begets cleanliness, productivity, you know, if you start your day in a certain way, it's going to, there's a ripple effect throughout your day and throughout your life. And that's why, you know, for me, I'm not somebody who can take on a giant like Marie Kondo, empty the contents of your whole bedroom onto your living room, you know, on, into right. your, onto your floor, like closets. <laughs> I would, it would still be there. I'd be divorced, you know, like it would be, <laughs> it, it would have been a nightmare. So I was more like, let's tackle like, you know, my junk drawer. Like I could do that, like one tiny thing. Um, and, and it, it's true. And, and I think the other thing that's, that's kind of cool about it is, um, one of my experts said this about the pantry, organizing your pantry. And it's not, I always thought that was just for like Instagram, like to show off, you know, and now we see like the home edit people and I'm like right. drooling over all of those things. And I want that, but it's really about, um, it's about ease. And it's about, you know, if you, if you take the, the box of granola bars and you empty it into a basket, then when you go to grab a granola bar out of the box and it's empty and then you're like, ah, like it's, you're frustrated. I didn't know it was empty. I was just at the grocery store. Ah, you know, it's more about being able to see what you have, have it easily accessible. And also, yeah, you might get a little hit of joy when you open your pantry to cook because you're like, damn, that looks good. Right. That's so organized. <laughs> I did that, you know, and like finding these little hits of joy in places that we didn't expect them. And it could be, um, you know, it could be even just like I have navigated a four-way stop in here. And when you can do that well and like give the wave or have a laugh because you're all saying, you go, no, you go, no, you go. It's just like, it just makes your day better, right? And we all, gosh, we all need ways to make our days better and more joyful right now. So absolutely. Yeah. So your timing is absolutely impeccable. And I, you know, I know enough about the process of putting a book together to know that you probably started this project before COVID. But let's talk about how how it started in the beginning and then changes that you presumably had to make in order to get this published during this environment because the book came out in September is that correct yep yep yeah so maybe talk a little bit about that and the timing of all of this yeah so originally it was meant to be published in a you know normal world and that's how I wrote it um, but the um, so my edits were done in April, my final edits. Um, we, we shut down in March, right? So I did those, but you know, the book had a lot of stuff in it already that, you know, who would have known how many people needed help loading and unloading their dishwasher, doing a right. load of laundry, patching a hole in the wall, all of these things that were all stuck at home. And now you're like, you know what? I would love to know a better way to clean my countertops because I do it 3000 times a day. Like it's all I do. I think I spent most of my time in my kitchen during the pandemic. Um, but so what we did is, you know, my agent and I, my editor and I, we looked through it and thought, um, some things could go right. One of the life skills was how to shake hands properly. Mm. And I loved that because, you know, we've all shook hands with somebody, you know, and they do it terribly and you're like, Oh, um, but back in April, we're trying to sit there and like the rest of the world, we're like, okay, well, where are we going to be in September? Like, surely we'll be back to normal. 
but will we be shaking hands? I don't know. Like probably not. Um, so we cut that. We cut yeah. a few things I put in and, and, you know, from reading the book, there are definitely mentions. I mean, I reference the pandemic. I reference us being home so much. I already had a big section on working from home because mm-hmm. I've always worked from home or I have for the last 12 years. And I think that's important. Um, but we beefed up that section a little bit. And um, the thing, one of the things I'm most proud of with this book is the whole, there's a whole, the whole second part of the book is on interpersonal skills and personal skills and um, being a good person to yourself, being a good person to others, calming breaths, meditation, um, getting yourself through a tough time, all of these things that I felt strongly are life skills that we need that maybe I wasn't necessarily taught as a kid, you know, the the generation, you know, my children are learning a lot more of this like social emotional stuff. Right. But I really felt like it was important. And man, has that come in handy during the pandemic, you know? So I was so glad that that stuff was already in there. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I thought I'd be traveling the world right now. (laughs) I I thought I would be, we had like a plan A and a plan B. And I remember like, as we got closer and closer to the pub date, I had to have like a real, you know, sit down, virtual sit down with everybody. And they were like, yeah, Aaron, you're going to be, this is going to be virtual. And I was like, no, (laughs) I just like, as much as I, I mean, I love writing the book was so fun. And, but I was most excited for like my my party and meeting people and talking to people. I'm an extreme extrovert and I get so much, um, you know, energy from other people and talking about this stuff. And I have, I have missed that, but we've all missed so much. So, um, and I'm grateful to have the online community and, and to be able to do podcasts like this. So. Yeah. Well, maybe talk a little bit about how or what your advice is for others as you had to make a big pivot. I mean, practically, well, really everybody, not practically, everybody I've talked to during COVID talks about how they made those pivots. And some were bigger than others. Some have completely, you know, completely retooled businesses. They've thrown, you know, plans and goals and business strategies out the window and completely recrafted them. I mean, you know, everybody has been disrupted in a big way maybe what were the tools that you went to or what was sort of what helped you reorient yourself as you knew you had to make this pivot? There's a lot of disappointment in not being able to roll out this book the way that you had wanted to, but what did you draw on? How did you kind of find that institutional or intestinal fortitude, if you will, to, to make that pivot? Yeah. Um, I think you, I mean, you know, my story that I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor and, I and was I'd love for de- you to talk about that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was um, diagnosed when I was 23 and I was working at Glamour Magazine. And I had, you know, envisioned myself being like a big writer, editor, all of these things. Anyway, I, I, I mean, I, I, that all happened, but it happened in a way that um, I wound up writing about cancer. I wound up turning my cancer experience and journey, if you will, into um, a column for Glamour Magazine that I wrote for over 10 years, a blog. I was one of the original like cancer bloggers, um, one of wow. the first Glamour bloggers back when people didn't do that really. And so that was, um, I sort of had that had set the heads, I had set that precedent for myself already, which is like, okay, like you have one vision of your life, one vision of how things are going to go. And then something else happens. And obviously like we dealt with the cancer and I had to go to all these different doctors and get on medication and deal with all the different things with the, with the cancer. But I was also able to use it to help others, to continue writing, to, um, 
incorporated into my career really. And um, I, I loved that. And so I kind of tried to remember what that was like, you know, um, I, I'm very good at like creating expectations that are <laughs> kind of, you know, <laughs> um, hard to achieve, I would say. And so um, it high was goals. just, yeah, high goals, <laughs> high you goals. know, yes. Um, so when the pandemic hit and I had to come to terms with, with not having the book launch that I wanted, I, I, this is something I say to a lot of cancer patients who are newly diagnosed, cause I do a lot of work with the cancer community and my type of cancer, it's chronic myelogenous leukemia. And it's one of the quote unquote, you know, people always say, oh, it's a good cancer to have. Some people say that. Um, for me, it is a good cancer to have. I take a pill every day. I'm still alive. I don't have many side effects. I have three children. I'm doing great. Um, are you Are you technically in remission, or how how do they describe this type of cancer? Because you you will take you will be on a treatment presumably for many many years to come, right? But yes. you don't have cancer currently. Is that right? It is very confusing. <laughs> I call myself a patient slash survivor because I am in a deep, deep, deep remission, mm-hmm. right? Like any regular old person could not find my cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I do a PCR test, which everyone now knows what PCR is thanks to right. COVID, but I do every three months a PCR test and those tests come back undetectable, but I cannot go off my medication. I tried actually, because there's something called treatment free remission, mm-hmm. um, which is not being cured because you're really not cured with this type of cancer, but they call it treatment free remission. And you know, who wouldn't want to not have to take their <laughs> giant cancer pill every day? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I tried that and, um, and I failed, um, which, a, a, a big cancer doctor who I'm, who I'm, friendly with said, you didn't fail. The, the trial failed you, you know? And I was like, okay. Cause I'm like, I failed the trial. And she was like, you didn't fail. The trial failed you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm back on my meds. I've been back on for four years now, but it's funny. I actually am going to, um, do another trial. I'm going to start as soon as possible. My doctor is at Sloan Kettering in New York city and he's doing a trial or I'm going to combine the current drug I'm on called Gleevec with a very minor, um, other drug. It's like a, I think it might even be like a vitamin D supplement or something. I don't know Mm -hmm. for a year. And they think that has some one, two punch type thing that, you know, my previous, uh, experience or my previous uh, time I didn't have, and then I could go off again. So anyway, that's the long answer of saying, I do still have cancer sort of, it's always feels weird. Like when, you know, I fill out medical forms and it's like, do you have cancer? And I'm like, oh, I mean, I do, but not really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I have friends, as I'm sure you do, who've had it a thousand times worse than me, who've lost their lives, you know? And I'm like, I, uh, that's not what I, that's not what I'm dealing with. And so, but at the same time, I did have a pretty wild experience back when in my early twenties. And so um, I do try to remember what I have survived and what I have endured and what life lessons I, you know, and pivoting, Right. is one of them. Do you know what I mean? And being yeah. able to pivot. And so that thing that I tell patients always when they are diagnosed with CML is, you know, I say, look, it sucks. You have cancer. That sucks. I trust me, cry, feel bad for yourself. Like, you know, do whatever you need to do, but also know that you're going to be okay. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to be okay. And, and that's not, you know, I, I don't think I have a tough time saying that to people who are diagnosed with, you know, stage four, we all know the terrible, horrible, you know, right. cancers. I would never say like, you're going to be totally fine. What are you talking about? You know, like I'm more realistic than that, but with CML, like 
99% they're going to be fine, but I don't take away their grief and I don't take away their need to feel sorry for themselves because they should, because it sucks and it's unfair. And that's sort of what I did with the book. It was like, you know what, I'm going to be pissed off for a little bit, right. even though I have it, you know, I have, is it as bad as, you know, so many other people in the world, what they're dealing with? No, but it's, it's my, my thing that I'm dealing with, you know? And so I'm going to feel bad for a minute and then I'm going to pivot and I'm going to be all over Instagram and, and zooms and IG lives and all of that. And, um, and so I did, I pivoted, but I, I think it's important and you know this, and I talk about this in the book too. It's like, we have to feel those feelings. We can't just say just because somebody has it worse doesn't mean we can't also feel bad for, for ourselves. Sure. Right. And, um, and I've always felt that way with, with cancer. And, you know, a lot of times people are like, when I was in my early years, people would be like, oh, I have the flu and I'm throwing up. Oh, but, but sorry, I shouldn't complain to you because you have cancer. I'm like, I take a pill every day. And I was like at the bar last night. So you, you don't have to feel you, you have the flu, you're throwing up and you have 104 fever. That sucks. You can totally complain, you know, like, so I, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you, you know, I think everybody has a right to, to feel bad about whatever situation they're in, even if people are worse off. And I, yeah. I, I tried to talk to a lot of people about that over the pandemic. Cause I think so many of us were like, oh, we're so lucky. We shouldn't feel bad. And yet yeah. here we are depressed and anxious and unable to sleep. So it's like, no, that's real too. Right. You know, I loved how you, um, I mean, clearly, or at, at least I assume you drew from your personal experience of <clears throat> not only having difficult conversations with people of sharing difficult news, like a, a diagnosis of a, of a life-threatening illness, but how advice that you give to people about how do you talk to somebody when they've given you this news and maybe talk a little bit about how you drew from your own experience, whether it's, whether it's consoling someone who's lost someone or whether it's somebody who, who discloses to you that they're going through a divorce, or maybe it's you who's, who's going through a divorce and you are sharing this news with the people who need to know. Maybe talk a little bit about your perspective on that and, and, and sort of how you handled that in the book. Um, I would love to talk about that one because I, I love that and I have used that one a lot. Um, I so went, I reached out right to, now, oh, right? so timely. I reached out to Rachel, Rachel Wilkerson Miller. Um, and she's fantastic. She's the author of the art of showing up, how to be there for yourself and your people. And we talked like forever about supporting a friend when they tell you something crappy they're dealing with. That's the, that's the title in the book, <laughs> but it's the, the, the number one thing you're supposed to do is just keep your reaction neutral. Right. Um, you know, if someone calls you and says like, oh, you know, I was just diagnosed cancer. Oh my God. You know, you don't want that, like that freak out reaction. Right. I had my, my parents were, and still are. One was very like, my mom was like, okay, all right. You know, and when you sell anything bad, my dad would be like, Jesus Christ, rah, rah, rah. you know, he flipped out, you know, so you always knew which parent to go to with your crazy news. Like we didn't tell my dad that I had cancer for like a week. He was on a business trip. <laughs> And my, well, maybe not a week, but like two days, my mom and I were like, Oh my God, Oh my God, how are we going to tell him? He's going to, he's going to lose his mind. He's going to freak out. Um, so you want to keep your reaction neutral. I love, this is the other, the follow-up question I love is, so how are you feeling about it? When you, when someone tells you something like, how are you feeling about it? Um, or how has it been for you and asking them, do you want to talk about it? And trying so hard not to come at it with your own story, your own advice, your own, you know, whatever it is, you're supposed to just listen right? Um, not give them unsolicited advice. And, and this is this I love, like people poo poo the um, I'm so sorry, 
thing, you know, like people think that you shouldn't say that you have to come up with something more clever or more helpful, but like when in doubt saying, I'm really sorry that you're going through this is okay. You know, it's not, it's not, um, the sentiment like will come through. And then her last step, which I love is check in on them tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, you know, and I, I have a friend who has, um, stage four metastatic breast cancer right now. And I just, I text her, we talk all the time. She's my childhood friend. And I just text her like, how are you today? You know, how's, how are you this afternoon? <laughs> right? Like, I know how she is in life. Like not, not great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's not doing great, but like, if I can say like, you know, how are you this morning? Right. Um, so I try to keep it focused on that. And that's something I learned from the book, right. which, which I love. And just, you know, just showing up is so important and whatever way you can do that now, um, even if it's a text, I mean, we talked about that, like, being a good friend, honestly, can be screenshotting a funny meme and texting it to your friend and saying, this made me think of you, yeah. right? You know, just connecting and reaching out. And um, that has been so important in the last, you know, 10 years has it been? 10 months? I don't know. <laughs> How long have we been in this pandemic? <laughs> a really long time. <laughs> a really long time. Not quite done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We haven't talked about or as much about the structure of the book and how you put it together. You did reach out to these 152 experts to get their perspective, but talk about the way in which you structured the book and why. Okay. So the book is structured from the the moment you wake up in the morning until the moment you go to bed at night. And it's like everything in between, including like, you know, weekends and fun stuff. Um, But it starts with like getting out of bed in the morning and then it ends with um, reviewing your day, you know, going to setting yourself up for a good night's sleep and reviewing your day. And I just like, I'm so disorganized in my brain and often in my life, but I love structure. Like I crave it, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like when you, like I was good with, with my babies, I was good because I was like, I could do that. You know, I could do, give them that routine. You know how babies like thrive on routine. I'm like, I thrive on routine. So I'm like, let me at least, because my brain is all over the place. Let's make this you know, chronological and go through a day. And I love that you can kind of, you don't have to read them in order at all. In fact, I say that in the intro, like, look, I'm the last person who's going to judge the order in which you read a book about the right way to do that. You know what I mean? Like that would be, I'm not going to do that because, um, and you can pick and choose things, but I wanted it to feel like, um, they're all little things, right? They're nothing is major. You could pick one thing today. You could pick, you know what? Oh, um, Hoda, um, Hoda talks about, starting your day off um, with a positive attitude. And it's just three things, saying three things you're grateful for. You know, she goes through all her different steps, Mm -hmm. but that's something that you can do in the morning every day. And it makes a huge difference. It starts to reframe how you see your day, how you, uh, how you, you look for the good instead of the bad. Um, And it's just, it's just a nice way to set it up. And I also just feel like it's, I don't know. It was a, it was a no brainer for us when we discussed how to set it up because I was like, let's, let's, this is about doing everything a little bit better. And it's got to start with literally with waking up in the morning. And I I confess to you this morning, I, you're, once you wake up, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to snooze your alarm. You know, you're supposed to get right up. Michael Bruce is my sleep expert. He's fantastic. And this morning I was like, Aaron, it was Monday morning. And I, you know, when, you know, I mean, I knew what time it was like before I opened my eyes, 
but I was like, just don't like, I was kind of in that half dream, but I was like, if I open my eyes, then I have to get up because it's in the book. Like I can't just lie here. It's, you know, I'm an adult and I have three kids who have to get to school and a job. But I, so I kind of like tricked myself. I'm like, I'm not awake, but I'm not awake. I'm not really awake. I'm just going to lie here. And then I like cracked my eyelid and I was like, Oh damn it. All right. I'm up. I'm up. Um, and so I, I, you know, I did that and that's, you know, it's, it's nice to have all these little things in your head. Do I do them every day? No. Just, should we all do them every day? Absolutely not. Pick and choose one or two and, and try it and, um, and just, and just see how, how tweaking the way we do these little things can actually have really big results on, on most importantly, our mood and our, yeah. you know, Looking back on this process, as you reflect on all this advice and the process of putting the book together, has it, has it changed you beyond the little things and the efficiency that comes from knowing how to do it correctly and actually doing it correctly? Is there a bigger shift that you have experienced or that your family's experienced as a result of this? I think for me, it was, it was way out of my comfort zone believe it or not, you know, I've been a magazine writer for 20 years. I've been very comfortable sort of flying under the radar a little bit. And I knew I wanted to make a move. I knew I always wanted to write a book, another book. So I wrote a cancer memoir 15 years ago, but this was a big out of my comfort zone project. Talk about why, what, what, why? Well, you know, I had to put myself out there in a major way. And the self-doubt was, I mean, I was breaking every rule, like telling myself horrible negative things about myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, but like, I, I was like, oh no, I'm low. But that, that was before I had the advice in my book. Not terrible, horrible things, but like, you know, like imposter syndrome, like, what are you right. doing? Like, you know, is anyone going to care? Um, but putting together that proposal was like hard work. And then writing this, I wrote it in six months wow. because they wanted to publish it. My publisher, Grand Central, wanted to publish it in September, which turned out to be an amazing thing. But right. um, so I had to write this book in six months and I worked my butt off and I haven't, you know, I can admit to myself that I haven't quite been doing that as much, you know, in the last 10 years, I've been raising my kids and writing for magazines and blogging and doing different things, but mm-hmm. I haven't really dug into like a work all day, work at night, you know, think like work in the car <laughs> kind of project in a long time. And it felt really good to stretch those muscles. And, mm-hmm. and then the other part of my comfort zone is like, I'm emailing people like Dr. Oz and talking to, you know, Rachel Ray and Ariana Huffington and Hoda and Bobby Flay. Like, and that is just like, you know, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, I have to send this email to, you know, the today show, like here goes. And it's good to get yourself out there again and, and to do those things, to do those hard things because with whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you don't want to feel stuck. And I think I didn't know I was stuck and I wasn't stuck, but this just came at the perfect time. And I just mm-hmm. felt like I feel now much more prepared to do, take on the next project. And, you know, it's nice to, I mean, to be able to hold a book that I wrote and got published within two years and that has been, you know, getting really nice reviews and um it's great and it's 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 a nice it's a nice moment and I try to slow down and enjoy it um I don't think anyone slows down to enjoy the good stuff really too much right Right. but but yeah so I would say that's been the bigger takeaway for me for sure yeah you talked about imposter syndrome and dealing with that but how about you know you you do have and you mentioned this 
all of the incredible experts that you have interviewed for this book, what about rejection? Did anybody turn you down? And if so, how did you deal with that rejection? Because rejection on top of if you're already feeling like an imposter can be a pretty tough combination and you've got to have some tools for plowing through that. Maybe talk about what your process was for dealing with that. And if anybody turned you down, maybe they didn't. And you're one of those lucky people and everyone just says yes to. No, I certainly not. I didn't, I definitely got some no's. Um, They were all really polite no's. And often it was like, this person's involved with a project or they're really busy or they're just, you know, (laughs) right. Or they're writing a book. Like nobody completely um, ignored me. And that was really, I was okay with that, you know? And the, the good thing is there were, there weren't, there was nobody that I was like, I have to have this person. Right. I have, because of what I've done for the last 20 years, I have a, I have a huge network of experts who I can rely on and who I love. And that includes people. Like I knew, like I emailed Dr. Oz and was like, can you, and he was like, yep. You know, cause I used to write for his magazine yeah. and um, Rachel Ray is somebody that I knew would be able to contribute based on, you know, just what the project is and, and, and knowing what she's into. And, and we had worked together on some stuff in the past. And that was really cool. Once I got, once like Rachel and Dr. Oz said, yes, um, and Duff Goldman was really cool from the food network. I had a couple of those people in the very early on, and that gave me like the momentum to keep going. Yeah. I mean, it became almost like fun, like, and, and, and Gretchen Rubin, who I love, yeah, right. She's awesome. And that was, I, I just, I had no connection to her. I just sent a form on her website and I was like, screw it. I mean, what do I have to lose? And she wrote me back herself and was like, I love this idea. Like, let's talk. And I, of course, as you know, I, she's in here like multiple times because she's mm-hmm. just so fantastic and has such good advice. Um, so I think knowing that I had all those people kind of outweighed the the occasional no's I got. And the no's were more from like, like some random hairdressers didn't want to be in my book, which I'm like, okay, whatever. But I have Sarah Patempa, who's incredible. She's like the inventor of the beach waver. And she and I have done like really cool stuff together. I, she, I, I got to demonstrate how to do a blowout on the Rachel Ray show using her <laughs> tips. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so Sorry, we were see. like, it was like, I didn't need anyone else. I had Sarah Patempa and like, that was great. Um, so, so yeah, so it was, that part really wasn't, it didn't, it didn't slow me down. I might have a moment where I was like, oh, bummer. Then I move on. Yeah. 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 Because I had to have 152. Like there was no time. There was no time. There was no time to be too sad. I was like, all right, on to the next. And there's a, that's a lot. I mean, it's really, it's a lot. It's a lot packed into a tiny little book, which is amazing. Um, Is there one piece of advice that really jumps out at you? We've talked about a number of different themes and and how it resonated with you, but is there one thing that you turn to that you're like, that is just my favorite thing in this whole book? Well, I have a lot of favorites, but um, the one that I think I use on a daily basis, besides calming breath, because taking the 16 second calming breath is huge, I would say is the don't put it down, put it away, which is Rachel Hoffman, who is my tidy room expert. And she has this mantra, which when you walk in a door or when you walk in a room or whatever, don't put it down, put it away. And it's such an easy little nugget of information to remember. It's great to teach your kids. It's great to, you know, remind yourself, you could write it on your chalkboard, but it's just like, but don't put that dish in the sink, put it in the dishwasher, you know, don't throw your coat on the bench, put it, hang it up. You know what I mean? It's so simple. um, And it really makes a huge difference because those things compound. Um, So I love that one. And that kind of works with one of Gretchen Rubin's one. We talked about habits in the book. 
and uh, or resolutions resolving to do something better. And she talks about the one minute rule. Mm-hmm. And that is any task that can be done in one minute or less, just do it. And that's a great one to try. If, if any of the listeners want something to try, just try it for the rest of the day or, or tomorrow. And you'll see how much you get done. And when you can get the, rather than, you know, if an email pops up on your screen, it's already interrupted you, right? If you can answer that email in one minute, just do it. Otherwise you're going to sit there and you don't even realize, but it weighs on you and your subconscious and you're thinking about it. Right. Um, and I, I do this a lot to myself where I'll walk past, you know, a dish in the sink or a pot. Like I literally just this morning there, my husband made eggs and he left the pot in the sink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) after I had gotten to sink zero, which is another one of Rachel Hoffman's gems that I love, which is get yourself to sink zero, at least once a day where your sink is completely cleaned out because (laughs) you know, when the sink is at sink zero, you're more likely to put the dish in the dishwasher. But if there's one dish in there, you're like, ah, whatever, it's over. I'm just throw all the crap in there. But so I was, I was making myself a cup of coffee and I saw that and I was like, you know what, while the coffee's brewing, I'm like, I'm just going to wash that pot. And I did it. It was like one minute rule and it's done. And now I was back to sink zero. So I love as a person, it's why I wrote the book, but I love small changes that have big results and anything I can do that feels easy. I mean, I don't really want any, nobody wants to do anything hard right now. Right. So these are all like little things that you can do that just have really big results. It's just remembering to do them. Right. It's holding yourself accountable for a little bit of this stuff, um, which is easier some days than others, but for sure, for sure. So I'm curious, um, you know, one, one, I was reminded of a piece of advice that my mother always employed with me and still does. And it still like circulates in my head constantly. And it is clean as you go. So if you're, if you go in the kitchen to make something as you're, as you're taking ingredients out, you put them in and you put them, you immediately put them away. And I still hear that advice going in my head. I'm curious. I know you're the mother of three children. You mentioned before, talk about how they have been impacted by this book or maybe the, uh, you know, things that you hear perhaps play back to you already. How, how old are your kids, by the way? Uh, 13, 10, Nora will be 11 tomorrow. And, um, seven. I forget Perfect. the little, I forget the little one sometimes. Perfect ages, right? They are, really yeah. soak this up. <laughs> they, um, you know, I, I, I say, I joke that it's required reading, which it totally is. Um, we do, I do have them make their beds every morning. That's one of the life skills in the book is how to make your bed. Um, it's, it's, obviously one of the easiest things you can do to feel productive. We all know about like the studies that show that, you know, you're, you feel better about yourself and more confident if you make your bed in the morning. So, um, there's that. And, um, I talk about, don't put it down, put it away. We talk about, we try to do the three positive things. Um, they've eaten a lot of my cheese boards. My, 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 my girls know how to make cheese boards. My son can do Jacques Pepin's scrambled eggs. Um, yeah. So they, we do it. We, we do it all the time. And I'm trying to, they see me doing um, zoom events and virtual stuff. And um, I have incorporated them in some of this. My, my 10 year old is dying or 11 year old almost is dying to uh, do an IG live with me. She's like, can I go live on your Instagram? Can I please, can I just do it? And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, so yeah. So that's, um, that's been, it's been fun. It's been good for them. And I think, you know, I tried not to talk about it too much with the book with them, but I'm, I'm definitely that mom. It's like, in the book, it says it in the book, come on. Um, but wait, the thing about the thing about cleaning, um, just to echo what your mother said, my, one of my, uh, cleaning experts is Donna Small and Cupper. 
And she says, when it comes to cleaning, it's a lot easier to keep up than it is to catch up. Absolutely. And I love that. Right. And it's like, the more you do it, the less you have to do. Right. So, and that is basically like the, the whole theme of this book. Like the more you do these things, the less you actually have, you know, like it's, so your mom is, is, I love that. That saying it's great. (laughs) (laughs) She's great. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Those moms are always right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So one final question, as you're looking forward and you think about this book, what's the impact that you hope it will have had on other people? So I, I hope it reminds people that we need to, you know, we all know we need to slow down. We need to take some deep breaths. Well, we maybe don't need to slow down as much as we did this last year. <laughs> maybe we don't need to know that we need to, maybe we need to speed up. Um, but I think the, the biggest theme from the book that I love is this idea of um, being considerate of your future self. And we so often forget about her, you know, we're like, oh, she can deal with whatever this crap is later. Or we just don't even think about it because we're so busy going from task to task to task without really thinking about how we're doing any of it. And so that's one thing that has really come through for me is being considerate of your future self. Um, it's, it's came, it came from Laura Vanderkam um, in, in how to say no in her, in a section of the book on how to say no. And she talks about that and she's just think, you know, think about what you're think that thing you're signing yourself up for. in in six weeks, do you really want to do that? Like think, be kind to your future self, think about what your future self, what is she going to have on her plate? But it's also, it also works for finances. You know, we talk about it with um, Tiffany Alache, the budget Nista. She's my financial expert. She's fantastic. And we talk about um, asking yourself, like, do I like it? Do I love it? Do I need it? Do I want it? You know, and, and where are you going to be when you're 80? You know, she, she talks about your, her 80 year old self, like being, thinking about the future, thinking about that just for a minute. And it could be as simple as for me, it's more, I'm, I'm much more um, micro with it. Like when I'm going to bed at night and I look at my kitchen, I think of my future self and I might, you know, get that last dish out of the sink and get myself to sink zero. And I might um, grind my coffee beans already so that they're ready to go. And, and I don't have to wake anybody up or go to the basement. Like, that's what I do. I wind up if I'm up early <laughs> and I'm like, come on. And then I come down in the morning and I'm like, oh, Aaron, that was so, you know, great. You feel good. Right. And it's doing those, you know, it's a little bit hard in the moment, but the payoff is huge. Right. And it's just trying to be a little bit kinder to our future selves. And I think that that's essentially what this book is about, even though, yes, it's about (laughs) folding fitted sheets and getting off a Zoom call and, you know, uh, arranging a cheese board. But but all of that really speaks to this idea of 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 taking better care of ourselves and and being calmer and more peaceful and, and having some more joy in our in the everyday. Yeah. Aaron, I love that. That's amazing. That's really amazing. It was so (laughs) nice to spend time with you today. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the book. It's called The Little Book of Life Skills. And it's really suited for just anybody. I mean, certainly for a, you know, recent high school or college graduate, but, but anybody, as I said before, I learned so much in reading this book, so many things that maybe I could be doing a little differently or just food for thought, right? It's a great resource to turn to when you're like, oh gosh, how should I handle this? It's got excellent advice from, you know, a huge range of experts across everything you can imagine, truly. So it's wonderful. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was such a great, it was so fun to spend time with you. I'm, I, I don't know how I'm going to top this hour of my day now. <laughs> really appreciate it. I feel great and energized. So I appreciate it. I'm so glad. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. 
If you're new to She Said, She Said podcast, please be sure to check out our past episodes. And before I let you go, I also want to ask a favor. If you're enjoying She Said, She Said podcast, and I sure hope you are, I would be so grateful if you could share us with your friends. And I would also be so grateful if you would go on iTunes and give us a nice review. Just a few quick words and five stars, if you don't mind, would be awesome. Nice words and nice reviews make a big, big difference. They help us move up the charts and they help others who are looking for content like this to find it more easily. I really appreciate you being here as always. And I hope that you found some great perspective and got a positive lift for your week. I'll see you next time. Take care.